Kimbrell deals an 0-1. That's into center field. It's down. In the score is Smith. And the Diamondbacks walk off the Phillies in game three. Cattell Marte takes a victory lap. Cattell Marte puts his name in the books for the Diamondbacks. Their third postseason walk-off. Luis Gonzalez, Tony Womack, and Cattell Marte. Well, I got to tell you, Kevin Barker, um, I was lucky enough to cover Luis Gonzalez's walk-off against Mariano uh, Rivera. That was a little, I got to say, that was a little harder to predict, <laughs> I would say, than uh, uh than yesterday uh, with with Kedel Marte uh, walking off Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. Uh, Diamondbacks win. Series is now 2-1. It continues today. We'll talk about Tori Lovello's decision to remove uh, his starting pitcher uh, as early as he did and why, frankly, I didn't have a problem with it. But before we do that, Kevin, and before Ryan Dempster joins us, I did want to ask you about... Uh, that series in general, and also the uh, the Astros Ranger series, which has been completely flipped on its head. Big win for the Diamondbacks. So does that mean that the Phillies win in five instead of four? Because that's still kind of what it Abs- feels like. Absolutely, a- absolutely. Yeah. Look again. Uh, you tip your hat to Brandon Fall. He he went out and I mean he threw fastballs when he had to. He threw secondary stuff. The sweeper was really good. Uh, he maneuvered around early in the game, which is a big deal, right? The location was on point. Uh, you know, young guy, heartbeat goes up. You tend to overthrow what suffers. Location. Location was great early. Uh, you know, he worked through the big part of the order and, and sort of got some momentum with his windup and, and his mechanics and his finish. And you can tell when he started locating – you know, the fastball away and, and some of the secondary stuff and can, and can eliminate batters because of the nine strikeouts with the sweeper, right? It make it a little harder on your manager because, you know, as well as anybody, Jeff, they'd planned this thing out. Tori Lovello, after the game in his, in his little postgame thing there, was was saying that that's what they did, right? They've been thinking about that. So it's interesting to hear them talk about that. And it brings back them old great memories about them Toronto Blue Jays. Well, it, it it does, but it doesn't. Two one, by the way, the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies. Uh, the Astros put the boots in the Texas Rangers ten three. That series is tied up two games apiece. But let's talk about Tori Lavella's decision. Now, here's why I didn't have a problem with it. Now I understand Brandon Fott is cruising against well a lineup that nobody cruises against in the postseason. Can't put it any other way. However, here's where I differ. And here's where I think it's different than Jose Barrios. Um, This is a guy who'd allowed 23 homers in 103 innings, including the playoffs. There were only six pitchers in baseball that had a worse home run rate than him. Um, The difference I see between this and Jose Barrios is, one, this is a rookie. uh, Or at least a guy without much of a pedigree. And two, um, you know, with all due respect to the Minnesota Twins, they're not the Philadelphia Phillies. If I'm managing a game and I 
think I know my starter. And I'm at the point where I'm saying, okay, like I got to err on the side of caution here. I'm doing it with Brandon Fott. Not convinced I'm doing it with Jose Brios has been in the game for what, five years, six years, and is you know, going to be my going to be one of my guys for the next five years. I think there's a real difference here between that decision and John Schneider's decision. But Lance, can you before we get to you, Kevin, let's just play Tori Lovello's explanation for it. What's going on in the dugout with you, Strom, and Benny as you're deciding how far you're going to go with 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 a fight. Um, yeah, we're having conversations about it. Uh, you know, all day yesterday. All morning today, um, during the game, we're loving what we see. Um, we just felt like once we got to a certain point in the game, he, he could hand it off to a bullpen that was able to match up and give us what I feel is a really good advantage against some really good hitters. So the conversations are very typical, you know. Um, am I an idiot if I take him out of the game with nine strikeouts at five and two thirds? Um, those are the things that I'm asking and try to keep it loose. Um, but we, I'm asking them if the manager is an idiot after taking him out of the game for five and two, after five and two-thirds. Um, and I know it's a very unpopular decision. But we have, we have great information about how we can – a plan and a roadmap that when there's limited emotion and limited stimulus, what's the best decision to move this thing forward and control a very, very potent offense? And we felt like that's – we went in that route today, went in that so, direction today. Okay, Kevin, I'm going to flip it over to you. This is the Phillies. This is not the Minnesota Twins. Like, we, we've yeah, got, to got, separate, yeah, we've got, got to separate these two, don't we? Yeah, it's got nothing to do with it. I mean, if you're a khaki, you're trying to predict the future. It's plus cut they won. It, plus it they either, won, so it worked. It either out. worked. It either worked or it didn't. The Blue Jays didn't work, so it was the dumbest move ever. It right. worked this time, which was a really good move. You had a well-rested bullpen. You had seventy pitches. You had a young dude working through it. You had lefties coming in for the top of the order. You give them a different look. They haven't seen him before. That makes sense. And the ultimate thing here is they won. It worked. Like that's this time of the year. It is real simple. There is there. You can't argue if it worked. If it that's, didn't work, it would have been the dumbest move ever. Just like well, the Blue Jays been, thing did. It would have been the dumbest move since Jose Barrios was taken out at the time. You you're you're watching the game though. Be honest with me now. Be honest with me because at the time I'm being honest here. At the time the move is made, I had no problem with it. What went through your mind when Tori Lavelle yeah, comes said, out? Uh, why, why are you taking him out? He can throw a sweeper away or a fastball away. That, that's that's what I thought. Like I, it's I mean he'd already he'd already worked through the top of the order. Schwarber was zero for two with two punches. Didn't look like he was having much of a tr- much trouble against him. I mean, basically with the stuff that he had, the life on the giddy up that he had, the sweeper that he had. Don't throw it down the middle. If he didn't throw it down the middle with two outs, right? You're trying to just figure out how to get through that inning. There's two outs. You're facing a lefty. You let him get that out. That's what I was thinking. You let him get that out. And if you want to bring the lefty in for a clean inning, you do that. But 
Again, it gets back to that thing. If you're going to think this thing through and try and predict the future, which all they all do it, every single team, this will just tell you right here, the Blue Jays organization is not the only one, right? This, the uh, the other organization. We know it's not the only one. Come on, we know yeah, that. Yeah, the other organization. Well, you, you, you need to see it live and in person, right? And we just saw it live and in person. That dude looked exactly like Jose Barrios looked, except Barrios has got a few more years in the show. That's the only difference. So, well, in yeah, the line. Look, if, come it, on, he's facing the Phillies. If the, the, it works, it works. Yeah, again, uh, it's about what you, it's telling you, right? It's it's a it's performance counts, right? That's that's what Dusty Baker says. You know what kind of counts he on? A performance count. Well, I mean, he's looking pretty good, and he only had seventy pitches. Again, it gets back to that thing. It worked. That's game, all that matters this time of the year. Game four of the series goes tonight at eight oh seven on Sportsnet. Christopher Sanchez gets a start for the Phillies. Joe Mantipoli. Uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oof. Game five of the ALCS, Justin Verlander, Jordan Montgomery, a replay of the first game uh, of this series. The Astros, they've tied the series at two games apiece. And uh, someone pointed out that the Astros now have home field advantage. And I said, well, actually not really because they got two games left in Houston and only one game left in Texas. Again, we've talked about this how this team is a uh, this team is a different team on the road than they are at home. I'm sure starting pitching had a great deal to do with with it yesterday. But Kevin, they just they look awfully comfortable in that park. You know, they they just do. When they're at the plate like that that was they're watching the game last night. That was one of the few postseason games where I literally thought every at bat, maybe with the exception of Martin Maldonado, but that something could happen with every at bat. You just got the sense that Houston was really locked in. Yeah, it's real simple for me. I mean, they got decent enough starting pitching. Jose Altuve is doing his thing. He's got five hits in his last two games. And Dusty Baker's not afraid to put a different guy hitting in the two-hole, right? You're mixing mm. it around to try and protect Alvarez with traffic, and you're trying to protect Alvarez with Abreu because Abreu now can change the game by hitting three-run homers if you pitch around Alvarez. So, you know, you got a manager who will pitch or will change lineups according to performance, and mm-hmm. you have Jose Altuve getting on base and being a threat and putting a ton of pressure on, quite frankly, some bad pitching that doesn't start with Avaldi and Montgomery. So, yeah, look, this is, for me today, this is way more important game for the Astros than it is the Rangers just because of where and Absolutely. how bad the, the Astros are, are at home. This is, I won't say it's a must win, but, boy, it's real close to that. And, you know, just continue to do what they're doing and, because of the experience there, you know, it's some bad luck, right? You, you saw Ryan Stanick come out and he, he, he got some big outs when it mattered the most Hunter Brown, right? I think all year they've been looking for stuff, you know, mm-hmm. aggression, vinegar, uh, all sort of combined together. Right. I mean, Dusty can only take him fishing so many times. So yeah, every, everything sort of worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And, you know, again, this is just, it's funny. It's just two heavyweights punching each other in the mouth. We'll see what's basically what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why at it's some so point, much fun to watch. At some point somebody's gonna throw in the towel. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be a knockout. Let's bring in Ryan Dempster, former MLB pitcher, World Series champion, co host of Intentional Talk on the MLB network. Ryan, thanks for joining us on Blair and Barker. Today we uh we we trust that you're doing well and that everything's everything's good. Look, Kevin and I were talking about Tori Lavello's decision yesterday. 
And, of course, we're looking at it through the lens of John Schneider and Jose Barrios. My friend Barker made, I think, the most salient point here. It was a great move because they won. That, that's basically what it comes down to, isn't it? It was, a, it was a genius move because they won. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lou Pinella always said, I walk out to that mound, I, everything's sometimes something going good on the field, and I walk out and point, point to the bullpen, I risk something going wrong. And, you know, for a second, it got scary, right? He brings in the lefty, and what does he do? He walks the first guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Because now, now you got to face Trey Turner, and like, luckily, he get, you know, he gets through that. But, yeah, it's hard, right? Like, it's hard, Bark. Like, you know, we played we played a little while ago, and, and you watch how it was, but it's not that way anymore. It's not that way. And the thing was, I, I you know, I, I sent a tweet out just saying I love when a pitcher's dealing and they go to the bullpen to find out if that guy can do what the guy on the mound's doing. You know, like, I just... That is true. Like, the guy out there is carving. Like, and I get it. I get the numbers, but they're all individual games. And some days you can get through the lineup, you know, six or seven times you're going that good. And sometimes you can't. But the bottom line is these guys aren't trained that way anymore. They go to the minor leagues. They throw, you know, 75 pitches in the start. They go four innings. And, and that's what they're conditioned for. So, realistically... It is the right move because they're not conditioned to throw 120 pitches, 125 pitches. That's just how it is. So, yeah, it worked out, and I'm glad it worked out for Tory um, and that they got you know made this a series instead of you know Philly winning that game, and we're looking at a possible sweep. So you know, kudos to him for for pushing the right button. Yeah, and uh, as I said to Kevin, I think the difference too. Jose Brios was facing the Minnesota Twins, and and that's that lineup isn't the same as the Philadelphia Phillies. It's funny, you know. I it was I sent a at a text exchange uh, yesterday with a with with a guy, a scout, longtime baseball guy that I keep in touch with, and we were talking about that move, and and he made the point to me something I hadn't really thought about. He said, "Look, everybody talks about how they want a manager to be consistent." And he said, and then when the postseason rolls around, people say, well, no, you know, you've got to, you've got to go with your gut more. And if a guy's dealing, and his, his point was, hey, if you would do this in the regular season, you know, if, if, if that's how you manage your team in the regular season, then isn't it a mark of consistency to be doing it in the postseason as well? And it, it kind of makes a certain amount of sense, right? But it flies in the face of what Dusty's what – what did Dusty say the other day? October baseball isn't, October baseball isn't July baseball. It's not, it, it's not August baseball. It's a different animal. But there is kind of a so – you can, you can kind of see both sides of this, can't you? Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, that's where these guys – look who's managing right now. Dusty Baker, player, rookie of the year, play a long time in the game. Bruce Bochy, player, won World Series champions. Tori Lovello, won a World Series championship with us in, in Boston, played the game. You know, Bob Thompson, this guy's been five World Series championships with the Yankees organization. And, like, you, you, these guys all played the game, and, they, and they've and they coached the game for a long, long time. So then there's feel. There's understanding. There's looking a guy in the eye. There's a reason why the best poker players in the world get reads on people. They, they, they can see how a person's breathing. They can see how a body language works. They can, that's what these guys do. That's why they're the last four guys standing. And, and so there's something to that, that experience of all this, being in those moments, managing in those moments, you know, coaching in those moments where you've seen players and how they act. And it is different. Everything kicks up. And remember this, too, like all of those numbers during the regular season, all those things that happen, 
those are against the Kansas City Royals, the Colorado Rockies, the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know what I'm saying? They're not the best four teams down at the end where every player in that lineup is locked in. You know, like everybody's going. There's a, you're not playing the guy in, in October that you might give an opportunity. Hey, man, we just want to get him hot. No, there's no time for that. Who's hot right now? Who's pitching well right now? Who's throwing the ball right now? Like last night, the, the Houston Astros, you know, aside from the, the Brayu home run, they win that game because Hunter Brown comes in and, you know, he's – he, he he shuts them out for three on three innings. That's mm. that's the difference maker. He he killed all momentum for an offense that was climbing back into that game. Done over with. Allows your offense to go out there and score a few more runs, and now that game gets out of reach. And that's Dusty sitting there going, "Okay, cool. I'm going to let him keep going. I'm going to keep. He's carving right now. His stuff's electric. Let's just let it happen. That's October baseball. Yes, you have your analytics. You're driven by them. You look at them. They mean something." If you don't use them, you're ignorant, and you're probably going to get fired. But at the same time, you need feel, and all four of these guys have as good a feel as anybody in the game right now. Uh, Dan, forget about matchups. You know, they're trying to do that, trying to do that with the Blue Jays late in games. You know, you, we don't have a closer now. We have, we're have we trying to match up everybody. You look at the Phillies. You look at Craig Kimbrell last night. That didn't look real good. You look at uh, Jose Alvarado. That does look really good. Matchups wouldn't really matter with him, right? He throws so hard. The stuff's so good. Yeah. Wouldn't really matter if it was righty or lefty. Rob Thompson, you think you lock him in a room. Now, obviously, tonight, I don't think Jose Alvarado is available. That's why after the game, he says probably, you know, big moment, up a run in the ninth, Craig will get the ball. You think both are available at the same time, up a run. If if Rob had to choose between the two in the ninth inning, he'd go to Jose instead of Craig. Yeah. I Me think too. so. I mean, the, you remember what happened with the Red Sox when they won in 2018? And who was the closer for the Craig uh, Kimbrell? Who finished out that game? Chris Sale. Like, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we love that role. And, and they're not where they are because, without Craig Kimbrell. Don't forget that. But, like, you have to throw the ball over the plate in the playoffs. You start walking people and you start getting behind the count against these good lineups where, where you're, you're the creme de la creme. This is the best four teams left. You know, or the best, you know, and then you get down to the best two if you're lucky. You can't, I, I, I can't be sitting here going, well, he got us here. No, I got to win. That's it. My, you check your egos at the door, you hang them on, the, on your coat rack in your locker, and whatever happens, happens. And Craig knows that too, and he knows he needs to be better. You know, he's had some really good outings, but outings like last night, you know, yesterday, um, you know, the outing before, time run on base. Like he got the ground ball and got out of it, but like there comes a point where it's like, okay, who's my best option right now? Because, that's all that matters. And, uh, and so like, I remember going through that as, as a reliever in the playoffs in 2013, you know, and I know it's a long time ago, but just that experience factor of going, man, I'd like to pitch right now. But I'm like, why would he pitch me? Tazawa's throwing unbelievable. Craig Breslow's getting everybody out. And then Koji's coming behind throwing the invisible. I'm not going to pitch unless it's a blowout. That's just the reality. And so you're always at this point in the season going to go with your best relievers. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, uh, Jordan Montgomery, tell me why he's so good all of a sudden. I guess it's all of a sudden. Yeah, I think Mike Maddox, to be honest with you. I think Mike's a tremendous pitching coach, and I think he's unlocked something that has always been in there, right? We've seen flashes of it. There's a reason why he was highly covered at the trading deadline. He was throwing the ball well in St. Louis, and, you know, he he had some flashes in New York. New York's a tough place to play. Um, I think the combination of Boach letting him pitch, you're not always looking over your shoulder during the regular season, and and he's unlocked something. That curveball is really good. You know, I've heard a couple left-handed hitters talk about it. They're like, dude, it comes out just like a fastball, and I 
and all of a sudden it's falling off the table that you know death ball or whatever they call so yeah and i just think mike i had him i had him as a pitching coach when i was in texas he's a calm presence he's a confident he, he instills confidence in you um he gets a real good idea of he has a tremendous idea obviously of how to pitch and what what works best for you you know, sometimes we get so caught up in all these swing paths and this plane and this quadrant of the strike zone is the best play. Cool. What's my best? Because at the end of the day, my best against your best, my, I have to believe my best wins. And, and a lot of times for pitchers, if you can locate, it does. It doesn't matter how good the hitter is. It, it does. So he's really unlocked something. I believe he's played a big role in, in why Montgomery's done so well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Jose Altuve. We had Jeff Blum on it was it was actually a couple of months ago and I made a note of something that he said. We talked to him about how you would how you would pitch Altuve. And he talked about, you know, those little water bottle arms. He was the phrase he used. But he said, honestly, and I understand Jeff wasn't a pitcher, but he said, honestly, I'd I'd approach Jose Altuve as if it was 0-2. As if every pitch was 0-2. How would you approach him as a pitcher? That's a great yeah, that's a great one. See, the thing about it I love about Altuve is that he's going up there to hit. Like, he's not there to try and work a count. He is up there to swing the bat. So, A, that's scary as a pitcher because it's like, you, you know you can't just flip a breaking ball in. There's no get-me-over heaters. Now, he might take those, but his approach on a general 90% of the time is hit. So, for me... I'm going, and I, and I faced him a little bit, sinkers off the plate in because he wants to swing the bat. So, you know, I, if a guy's aggressive and you know that, you don't have to throw strikes. They have to appear like strikes. But you have, and, 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 and middle in's a great place for that, especially to a right-handed hitter who's aggressive, and then you throw that pitch off, in off the plate, sinking. Um, you know, elevated fastballs that are, you know, up over the plate with two strikes. I love that approach. He's right. You have to you have to be aggressive. Now you can't bounce breaking balls. You know breaking balls to me with Altuve short of the plate versus sweeping away off the plate because the ones away off the plate you know he'll end up taking. He's just an aggressive hitter, so you got to use that to your advantage. Um, if you think oh you know he's a leadoff guy, let me just pump one in here. Whack! It's getting whacked. Like he is not up there to draw a walk. He's not up there to work a count. He's up there to try and hammer a baseball. I love every bit about him because he's a little man, right? He does not big. You can stuff him in an overhead glove compartment, you know, on a on an airplane. <laughs> he's tiny, but he goes out there and he plays like Aaron Judge. I love it. It's just like for every kid at home, well, I wasn't big enough. Oh, really? Jose Altuve is big enough. What's your what, what? Now what's the excuse? Like I just, I I admire, I admire what he's been able to do in his career. I love watching him play, and uh, and you know he's he's the leader. When he goes, look what's happened the last couple of games. He was struggling the first bit of the series. He's hammering the baseball. They're winning baseball games. He goes, they go. Yeah, Jeff Blum also said that Framber Valdez is throwing his sinker too hard. And, you know, I, I guess there is a thing where you got to let it break. If you're throwing it too hard, it's tunneling too long. You know, it's more of a runner than a sinker. And runners at this level, especially to really good lineups, get hammered. My question to you is, if you know that, if you're Framber, can you change that? Can you do something mechanically to have that slow down a little bit to where it would break more? Because you you know as well as anybody, that next start's huge for him, especially you're going home, they're struggling home, right? He's going to have to dominate, right? They're, he's going to have to come up big, and it may be the mile per hour on that thing. Can he adjust it to get it to move more? Yeah, you can put that ball back in your hand a little bit deeper so that you, you know, you're choking the ball a little bit and then, 
get a little bit of, you know, kind of tenseness so that you do get a little bit more of that movement. Um, you know, maybe even just, you know, recognizing that and understanding that, holding on to it just for a split second longer. So that, that you're right, that downward movement, you get the side to side with these guys, man, that's not going to do anything. You want them hitting the top of the baseball. And if, and if it's moving side to side, they're going to find the inside part of that baseball and it's going to get hit hard somewhere. Um, you know, and then also too, is you get that run back, right? You're trying to throw it into the le- into the righties, which he's so good at that combination of that fastball in with that breaking ball down and in, and now it runs back over middle and gets hit, gets hit the other way. We saw that a lot with their approach to that. So yeah, just, just tinkering with it. But you know, that's something obviously like if Bummer's talking about it, which we've seen they're they're talking about it. And, and he's listen, this guy's a Cy Young type candidate pitcher. He's one of the elite guys in the league. And, I have a feeling he's going to be very ready for that game six start. Yeah. Ryan, really good of you to join us today, man. Always appreciate your insight. Dip, dip, you're the yeah, best, always buddy. good to be with you guys. Absolutely. You, you got it, guys. See you All right. That is Ryan Dempster, World Series champion in 2013, co-host of Intentional Talk on the MLB yeah. Network. That was interesting wanted... about Framber Valdez because yeah. Jeff, Jeff made that point yesterday, and I've often wondered that. You know, we uh, the, the idea that, Sometimes guys will throw a pitch too hard, you know, is kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If you throw it too hard and it doesn't break the way you want it to break or where you want it to break, it's basically the same thing as not having any control over it. Yeah, I think so. And the question will be, too, if they lose today – that's an elimination game. You want to be messing around by choking baseballs off and yeah, trying to figure out different grips and good point. You know whether it's going to break or not. So it's it's again, uh, he he will have to be huge for them. I just wonder if he can do it with a cutter. See, right? I, I, I if I know it, if Blum knows it, you you, you know the Rangers know it. So it's I'm just that you. thing, right? What do you do? How do you do it? Like, do you do you tinker with it? Well, that's a that's a big if. I'm with you. That's why I think this game tonight is so huge. huge. Because huge. Fram- Framber Valdez against Nate Uvalde, uh, that I'm not certain in Houston. I'm not certain that matchup favors the Astros. You know, as good yeah, as I've... as good as Valdez has as Valdez has been in the postseason throughout his career, Uvalde's also been good. And quite frankly, Uvalde's pitching better right now than Valdez is. Yeah, I think that's the most important part of it, too, right? It's what he done for me lately. And lately, mm-hmm. Valdez's sinker ain't sinking. And when yep. it ain't sinking, you go back Lake City a little bit easier on that thing. And I think you get cheap hits off it, too, right? When it's running, just gives you a chance if you actually stay through it to get some cheap hits. And that's what right. we saw the Rangers get, right? They hit a bunch of yep. balls really hard. They hit some, you know, things off the end. They got jammed just because of length in the zone. So, yeah, that's the difference, right? It's that little extra movement down and away instead of side to side. And would you tinker? Man, that is a that's a big question. And it's just it'll be interesting to see, right, which way it goes and will he do it if he had to do it. It's intriguing. Yeah, no, I, I that's why I said I'm with you. I think this is a. Uh... It, it might seem odd for a team that's won two games in a row, but I think the Astros absolutely need to win this game tonight. They absolutely need to win this game. And and then we'll see what Texas has in an elimination game. But it's it's they have to do it tonight. They absolutely have to win tonight. Uh, John Morosi of the MLB Network is in Arizona covering the Diamondbacks Philly series. He had a walk-off interview yesterday with Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 
it's something seeing Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno in a playoff game. Something. I don't know what, but it's something. John Morosi joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's another one of those great days in the fall where you've got two baseball games, 5.07 Eastern on Sportsnet. The Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers, they're tied two games apiece. 8.07 from Arizona, the Philadelphia Phillies against the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks walking off the Phillies yesterday. They are still uh, behind the Phillies in the series. Two games to one. John Morosi of the MLB Network is in Arizona covering the series. And uh, he joins us on Blair and Barker. John, thanks so much for joining us today. I trust that you're traveling well and that... Uh, everything is everything is good. Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, Tori Lovello's decision yesterday, and I want to move on from it a little bit, but I think we kind of all came to the same conclusion. It was a genius move because it worked, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning uh, from Phoenix. Yeah, certainly uh, there was a, a good bit of discussion uh, there in the press boxes. It was all happening, and, and I guess the, the one thing that we have to say about it is no one could possibly describe it as a surprising decision. That is inaccurate. That is just the way that baseball is managed now. Um, it, we can debate whether it should or should not be, but it was not a surprise. It was not a surprise at all. Tori had said going in 18 batters plus or minus four was what he wanted from Brandon Fott, and that's exactly what, what he got from him. So, I, do I, does the traditionalist in me uh, want to see Brandon Fott go into the seventh inning? Of course. And was there a bit of poetic justice that, that in the first inning that he wasn't on the mound, that the Phillies scored on a wild pitch? Of course. That was the, the baseball guys maybe reminding all of us that, uh, that you're supposed to let your pitcher go a little bit deeper. But, uh, and, and now the one thing I'll say, talking about it being a genius move, Let's see two things. Number one, are any of the D-backs relievers less effective today because they had to go yesterday? And or, how does Brandon Fott do the next time he starts, which would be game seven? And will, would they theoretically let him go a little bit longer in that circumstance? All those questions right now, Jeff and Kevin, to me are very relevant indeed. JP, do you think that Brandon Fault gave the Diamondbacks a blueprint on how to get the Phillies lineup out? I think so. I mean, they, he utilized a lot of a lot of changeups. I thought, and and the biggest thing was for me, Kevin, is is pitch execution. I, I, I mentioned the changeups that he utilized the left-handed batters. That was crucial, but that was pinpoint command. I, I had somebody during the game text me and say wow he reminds me a lot of what we saw from Aaron Nola in game two a very you know right-handed pitcher similar style but it was pitch execution and pinpoint command and you know Kevin better than better than I do certainly that when when you're a, a, a major league pitcher with stuff and you're able to locate it in the in the tougher parts of the zone 
uh, whether it's on the corners, obviously the, the high bar as well, what they call it, top bar, top of the zone now. I, I think that he was just pinpoint with his command, and for the most part, with the exception of the Thompson wild pitch, uh, that and, and saw Frank walking a couple guys, and I think in general they did a very good job of locating the ball really all game long. John, why isn't Taiwan Walker get, getting the ball in this game? I mean, I'm looking at him now. He had a 438 ERA. I mean, he's not obviously not a Cy Young candidate. But, I mean, they've given him money. He's, again, he is he's a starter. They're going with a guy who what? Um, yeah, Christopher Sanchez, he's also a starter. He had a better ERA over 99 in the third innings. I'm still a little surprised, though. And I understand Taiwan hasn't pitched for a while, but should I be surprised that he's not getting the ball or... Conversely, is this one of those things where Christopher Sanchez starts and Taiwan Walker's in the bullpen ready to go? That's a great point. And I, I do think that's part of the calculus here on the part of the Philadelphia Phillies. I, I noticed yesterday that Taiwan Walker was in the dugout and not in the, in the bullpen. And that, to me, was a tell that, that he would have been the starting pitcher uh, today or Nominally, now to your point, do you is Christopher Sanchez going to go an inning, two innings? Is he there just to get uh, just to get you through Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte, and then as soon as the righties show up, then we're going to see Taiwan Walker in there. Literally, the fourth batter of the game, fifth batter of the game, maybe. And, and this is where, I, first of all, I love as much as I I acknowledge that I'm a bit of a traditionalist in a lot of ways. That to see to see this game and the number of different decision points that you have, I think is a lot of fun because mm-hmm. there, there's a whole lot of second guessable choices here. Are we are we just going to see Joe Mantiply and Christopher Sanchez literally for the first inning, and then here comes the bullpens and here comes a whole bunch of stuff that we can second guess and have fun with? And those are all really unique elements to, to what's to what's going on here. And, and I, I think it's entirely possible that we will see a very, very quick hook on both starters and that, and that it's a left-hander going for the Diamondbacks because, because Torrey Lovello wants a left-hander to go up against Schwarber and Harper like for one time. And then, and then we see somebody else coming in or, or maybe they'll let him stay in long enough to get Stott. But the other part of the three-dimensional chess going on here, guys, is that, we will likely see some different offensive alignments to where you're seeing left-handers batting higher in the lineup than you normally would expect to see against a left-handed starter because the assumption is from both managers that neither of the left-handers who start are actually going to be around this game for very long. JP, I, I have to be honest with you. Craig Kimbrell, look, I, you watch sort of watch his ninth inning with one eye open. Like you just don't want to, you know, you're trying to peak. You're really not 100% wanting to pay attention because he's all over the place, especially if you're a Phillies fan. And in the seventh inning, the reason why I brought this up is in the seventh inning with, with Bryson Stott up and then first and second and nobody out, Rob Thompson could have bunted there. I mean, I hate to say that. Like, because, you know, who dare, how dare you, you know, think about bunting this time of the year, especially with the, the lineup. But with who's on the mound for the D-backs, who's coming up for the Phillies, who they have in the bullpen, meaning the Phillies at the back end, right? You can add, have some add-on runs, right? Instead of one run, maybe you could get two runs. Any chance that the Phillies would change mindset? If they're stuck with Craig, 
being the ninth inning guy on how they handle. I'm not saying bunt, hit, run, everybody, but occasionally a Bryson Stott, if the situation occurs, you might bunt him over to make it easier just to try and score, put up a crooked number instead of a solo number. What do you think of that? Uh, that's a fair question, and I, I think that with Kimbrels specific to him, we may end up seeing Gregory Soto come in and, and close the game late. You know, we haven't seen him a ton so far this in this uh, in this series, so maybe Soto is the guy they turn to 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 get that done. Given Craig's struggles, I mean, it was again. I, I referenced the the Brandon Fott uh, decision and, and having him leave the game. It did not surprise probably any of us who've watched a lot of playoff baseball. Kimbrell may well go to the Hall of Fame, but there are times where if he can't land his breaking ball, the fastball becomes a lot more predictable. And and that was where Cattell Marte, when I spoke to Cattell on the field after the game, he basically said to me that because he had seen in the Perdomo at-bat that, that Kimbrell was not able to land the breaking ball, that he could just key in on the fastball. He just, he just knew that he wasn't throwing it for a strike. And so – at that point, Kimbrel becomes a lot more predictable, and that was why I think ultimately there was a success. But I think to your point about playing for a run, maybe trying to add on late with a bunt, you know, it's tough because the Phillies to me are not—they're not really a small ball team. They yeah. are—they are at their core a slug team. And, and one thing, Kevin, and I, I appreciate your perspective on it. There are certainly moments in the playoffs where where. There is, an, there is a, an opening for some small ball. I think bunting with someone like Rojas makes a little bit of sense because he's struggling a lot right now, and, and maybe at the bottom part of the lineup you do some of that. But this is a slug team, and I'm, I'm a believer that if you're a slug team, you slug. Just that, that's, If that's your identity, I, I'm a big believer that we should not be asking a team to change its stripes at this stage of the season because it's already hard enough to play this game let alone if you're not playing it the way that you typically play it. So I'm, I, I, I tend to let, let the Phillies swing for the downs because, generally speaking, it's worked pretty well for them. That's fair, yeah. You've spent some time now around the Diamondbacks. Um, they really do seem to love Gabriel Moreno as an organization, don't they? They do, gentlemen. They do. And, and uh, of course, uh, Lourdes Gurriel had a pretty pretty big and impactful uh, role in the game yesterday, too. I, I, I know it's tough to talk about, guys, but they do. And, and, and here's, here's the point that I'll make about Moreno, is, is that his defensive ability, and one of the main things we've been hearing a ton about in the last little while is how much they love his pitch framing, how much they love his game calling, how much they love his throwing. Defensively, He's elite, elite, elite. And, and I know the Jays made the decision they made, but I, I think one of the most important things that any organization does is know its own talent. And I, I just don't know if the Jays quite appreciated all that Moreno could do defensively. I think they knew that he had a bat. And I just think that the time that, that we've seen now, the way that he's flourished with this staff, and I think importantly – as well, it's not as though he's catching five rookies. Merrill Kelly is a veteran. Zach Gallon is a veteran. Uh, yes, he's, he's helped some younger guys too, but I just think he has been great for everybody based on the feedback I'm getting. And, and Tori Lovello loves his defense. They love his bat. Um, I, I, all I can tell you is here in Phoenix, Gabriel Moreno is a very popular player both in the organization and with the fans as well. Talked about Craig Kimbrell a little earlier and potential Hall of Fame candidacy. Look, 
Jose Altuve is going to the Hall of Fame, but watching him last night, I, I keep thinking of banging on the garbage can and all, all, all this stuff. Is he? Do you think that costs him a first ballot? nomination because clearly he's he's got to be going in right and i mean i'm voting for him in the first ballot because you know if you vote for steroid guys in the first ballot why the hell wouldn't you vote for jose altuve but do you think that's going to be held against him in that first ballot you know it's a great question and and i think that we may have already seen a, a test run of this with with uh beltron not getting in and even beltron's numbers being fairly low um, it's a it's a funny group, obviously. The, the baseball writers, Jeff, we're both part of it, and sometimes uh, it can be difficult to, to figure out what what is going to move the needle and what won't. I, I do think this that we saw that with with Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling to an extent, there was a a fairly firm cap as to the number of people that that could stomach whatever whatever negativity there was surrounding those candidates. It obviously is different. It's different for Beltron. It's different for Altuve. But there, there may be some that just hold a line and say, if you were associated with that team, that they're not going to vote for you. That would not be my perspective. I voted for Beltron. I plan to vote for Altuve. But it's, it's a very, very unique decision. And I would say this, and this is one of the biggest things that I come back with. If you believe that, that the Astros – were the only team, the only one that was either on the edge or over the edge with respect to science stealing in 2017, I, I find that very, very difficult to, to reckon with. That they were the only team that was on the edge or, or, or over it. Now, did they, were they the most egregious? That's probably true. But I, I would be very cautious about painting the, the Astros as all villains and everybody else as completely innocent without knowing full information. And that's where, again, that, that is the one analog to other decisions that we have made. We have incomplete information. What we do know is that he was not suspended by MLB, nor was Beltran suspended by MLB. And that tends to be my standard. So um, not suspended, uh, I, I think to me, still a, a person in good standing for that, for that honor. And, and I, I do plan to vote for El Tuba just as I voted for Beltran. John, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Travel safely. See you, buddy. We, we appreciate it, guys. We'll, we'll catch up about the, the, the ERA Committee Hall of Fame ballot next time around. I'm hoping there that Tito gets in. Well, I, it's a it's a great ballot. I, I was obviously I'm I'm with you. I would love to see Cito in. I'm surprised Cito isn't in, especially since Beeston's on so many of those committees, uh, or at least was on so many of those committees. But my goodness, that is a I mean. That's like a manager. That's a dream. If you like baseball managers, that ballot's a dream. It it really is. Oh, it really is. We can see Pinella is a great case for Pinella. Obviously, Leland, I'm a huge fan of his. Davey Johnson, you got a lot of very deserving guys. Yeah, it'll be a great ballot. John, thanks for this. See you, buddy. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thank you. John Morosi of the MLB Network uh, is in Arizona covering the Diamondbacks. In the Phillies. So, question for you, Kevin. You've asked this question of Ryan and John. Ninth inning tonight, who gets the ball for the Phillies? Soto. I'm with you. Yeah, I love Only that. because Alvarado pitched yesterday, right? Or what? Yeah, I, 
Uh, yeah, I, well, no, I know Rob came out and said that he would, Craig would be rare and ready to go. And, you know, it's just command. It's always command with him when he's locating. And JP's right. When the, when the breaking stuff is where it needs to be, and he can probably steal a strike or two with mm-hmm. that, get you in swing mode and allow him to be a little bit more erratic with the fastball and allows him to get through innings a little bit easier. So, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe if I were Rob, I would use it as an opportunity to say, you know, if I have to to go with Gregory Soto, that's a ma- it's matchup driven. Yeah, you know, we're we're trying to win this game. We don't want to let a team off the ropes. You know, we sort of got them where we want to have them. I just saw a better matchup with Soto than I said what I saw with Kimbrel. You don't have to come out and tell them. You can no, just say that, and that's that's, that's the way I would point. handle it. But you know, again, this this time of the year, it's about winning. And when you see a dude that's all over the place and just allows everything around him to affect what he's doing, I just don't know how you can allow that to be run out there consistently over and over and over again in the ninth inning. No, it just seems to me that given, given the Diamondbacks' speed and everything that goes into having Craig Kimbrell on the mound, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I certainly... I certainly. I mean, look. If you're if you're Rob Thompson, you're hoping the score is seven to one tonight going into the yeah. ninth inning. Your decision's a whole hell of mm-hmm. a lot easier. But it was funny watching the game yesterday. Craig Kimbrell comes in the game, and you just got the sense watching JT Realmuto. You you just got the sense as if the Phillies are on edge when he's in the game. Yeah, they you know, have it came and- through the TV. It certainly. I don't know how you saw, but I certainly saw that from Realmuto. Absolutely. Well, you can't throw strikes like that's. You, you still have Strom too, Matt Strom, who's a really yep. good pitcher. You have you have Jeff Hoffman, who's turned the corner and you know has got the eliminating secondary stuff. So you still go. You got options, right? You got some lefty hard throwers. You got some righty hard throwers. You got actually throwers who can throw strikes, which is a big deal mm-hmm. that time of the game. Again, I just get back to that. Sometimes you can say it without saying it. And yeah. Rob's been around long enough to know how to do that. So if I had an opportunity, I would scream the matchup thing. And if they won, you could just say that's what we're here for is to win baseball games. He'll have his chance to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Just tonight I felt like this was best for our team going forward to get us to where we need to go. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Morosi. Pretend you have a Hall of Fame vote. Oh, Jose Altuve is obviously a hell a Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Wow. Do you hold back on him because of the Astros cheating thing? Absolutely. Yes no? Absolutely. You do. Okay. Oh, he's okay. banging like crazy. I mean, the the the, the only he's reason we like keep crazy. bringing this up is because we see them all the time. Like they're always the final fourth team in baseball, well, it's, and it's uh, all always we get gonna, to do is talk about them. And, yeah, the, and the, always, only, the only the only way it changes. Sorry, go is ahead. If they're not the, well, the uh, the thing that keeps being brought up is, are they still banging? Why is he getting all these hits? Whether well, that's not fair, but that's the yeah. thing you think of, right? Is wow, was, did he bang? Is that why he hit the breaking ball? Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're dropping first ballot on us, so it's for me. It's not. It's he's not a first ballot. Like he would have been, I think, if. Wow. He hadn't have went through this as an organization. I mean, they brought in one of the most veteran managers in the history of baseball to get through this, to actually help yeah. a couple of guys. And I would think it would be Altuve and Bregman. Those are the two guys, right? And to actually say that out loud would give you a little 
you know, step back to think, do I vote first ballot? Do I have to think about this? And if he gets in, he gets in, but it ain't going to be first ballot. Yeah, I think that um, as long as those two dudes are in the game with the Astros, it's just, it's going to be a thing. The only way to me it stops is if they retire, um, possibly if they change teams. But, yeah, it's, uh, I I was thinking about it yesterday, watching them play. And and just, you know, when you look at Altuve's postseason numbers, and they're, I mean, they're, there and I, yeah, and you're I'm not. Guy, you're not I'm a guy the, that put. I'm a guy that puts a lot of stock in what you do in the postseason, man. You're 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 far and few between. Most don't like uh, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, if you you vote him in the Hall of Fame, absolutely not. But he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It has nothing to do with what he's done in the postseason because he's been one of the worst big game pitchers in the history of baseball. So that but wouldn't just, be why you'd vote him in. And Scherzer, you could probably throw him in there too a little bit. When it comes to the postseason. So you're voting for these dudes when it comes to the regular season. And most can remember the banging. Like you can actually even hear it when you say his name out loud. So, yeah, I would think you won't reward him for that. He might get in, but it sure ain't going to be first ballot. it's, It's kind of odd because for me, I judge hitters more on what they do in the postseason than pitchers. Because let's face it, if you're a starting pitcher, uh, how many starts are you going to make in a postseason if your team goes the distance? You know, whereas if you're a hitter, how many at-bats are you going to get in the postseason if your team makes it? It'll be an interesting debate. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of I'm with you. I don't think he gets in on the first ballot because of that. He may not even get in on the second he'll ballot. He'll get one vote. One the Jeff Blair vote. <laughs> no, he'll get two because Morosi's going to vote for him as well. You know that. Uh, That's it for us. We'll be back Monday from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, as always, if you're listening to us via podcast, thank you. Please leave a lovely five-star rating and say lovely things about Kevin Barker. It means so much for him. Enjoy the baseball. We'll chat Monday.